Come on, give the Lord some praise in the house tonight. Come on, you know I'm going to say it. No patty cakes here tonight. Come on, give him a radical praise. He's worthy, church. All of your adoration, all of your praise. Come on, give, give him one of them uncomfortable praises tonight. Get yourself out of the comfort zone. Maybe you're not a shouter, but you ought to shout tonight. Amen. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of all of your praise, all of your shouts tonight. Come on, because I know he had to reach way down to get some of us. Amen. He had to reach down into miry clay and pull us out when nobody else could pull us out. He's worthy. Amen. Praise God. So good to be back with you tonight, and what an honor it is to be back at the North Georgia Revival this month. I'm excited about what God's going to do tonight. Uh, if some of you ever wonder sometimes why I get you to praise the Lord so much, if I can just say a, a statement to you real quick that uh, almost 10 years ago, Lisa and I walked away from everything we knew as life. We walked away from our ministry. We walked away from what anybody else would have considered success and God had us to walk away. It was the hardest thing we've ever done in our life. And over a period of several years, God spent killing me. And I know a lot of people say, God don't kill you, yeah he does. He wants you dead. He wants you dead. Because truthfully, until you're dead, he can't use you. But when you can die, when you have no reputation to defend, when you don't have nothing to prove to anybody, you can just say, yes, Lord. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter what their opinions are doesn't matter what they write about you in the papers or what they respond to you on social media. You just say, yes, Lord. So every time I take a platform today, I hate to hear the appreciation. Because there's only one that's worthy. There's only one that's worthy of our praise. Only one worthy of our hand claps. Only one worthy tonight of an applause. And it's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the one who loved you when nobody else could love you. That believed in you when nobody else would ever believe in you. And he didn't just believe in you with the scripture in John 3.16. He believed in you with a, fury, a furious love that followed you into the places nobody else would ever follow you that he waited on you when everybody else discarded you, that even when you ran in rebellion after you had tasted what was good, he never gave up on you. People gave up on you, families gave up on you, churches gave up on you, but God never gave up on you. And the amazing thing about God was is when he found you, he didn't just stroke you on the back of the head and say, I love you. He picked you up out of that miry clay. He washed you in the glorious blood of the Lamb that took away your iniquity and threw it as far as the east is from the west. And not only did he forgive you, but he gave you the most glorious gift that any man could ever receive. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit that produced the greatest miracle any man could ever see. It produced regeneration in your life. You became born again. 
And when you become born again, then everything that you do from that day from that day forward is not about you, but it's about what he did in you. So that you always give him the praise and you always give him the glory. If you walked out of a lifestyle of addiction, it wasn't you, but it was the God on the inside of you. You can't say, look what I quit, look what I did. All you can say is, look what he did. Look at what he did. And there's some in this room that know, look at what he did. Look at my marriage, look at what he did. I was depressed and suicidal, but look at what he did. Church, we got to get back to a place where we want no applause. We know no recognition, no name. I don't even want the honor. I want him to get all the honor and all the praise and all the glory, church. It just bothers me sometimes. And I know it's come from people that love us. We've been here for almost five years sharing with y'all in this amazing revival and your family to us, but I want you to know something. If I never heard another hand clap at my name, I'd be a lot better person because pride creeps in so easily. Pride, see the greatest battle you'll, you'll face in your life is not poverty. It's not the battles you're going through. It's not the hardships and the marital conflicts that you're doing. Those are not your greatest battles. Your greatest battles in life is when God really uses you, when you're successful. And the problem with pride is, is you have it and you never know you have it. But I thank God that he took me off of that place and he took me out of that position. And then unknowingly when I walked away over 10 years ago, that God would kill me so that I could come to a place to where God could actually use my life again. And that's why I always ask y'all to give him all the praise and give him all the glory because I don't ever want that mess in my life ever, ever, ever again. I want you to know Christ Fellowship and all of those of you here at North Georgia Revival. Lisa and I love you with everything that's within us, and we thank God for you. We thank God for Pastor Todd and Karen. We love y'all, and we thank God for your perseverance, for your fight, and for you standing. Because of what you're doing, our whole nation is being impacted. The world is being touched. And today, we say thank you for your faithfulness today. We say thank you for not giving up. Thank you for... As, as Dr. Karen Smith preached in our place this morning, thank you for staying low. Thank you for not taking your nose off the floor and staying humble. Thank you. We love you and we appreciate you more than words can say. Tonight, I'm gonna do something very different. I had a very clear prophetic word I was wanting to release tonight that God had put in my spirit for this house. But when I, I got here and I got in the atmosphere, I felt a real spiritual war going on not one that was warring for the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. He's already won. But there's a war over souls in this room tonight. That there are people in this room that hell is fighting for you. That's fighting to keep you bound, fighting to keep you oppressed, fighting to keep you depressed, fighting to keep you incarcerated by sins. There are people in this room that religion has incarcerated you and give you a false sense of salvation. That because you've gone through ritualistic routine, you don't even realize that you're lost and in the darkness tonight. But I'm telling you, heaven is fighting for you tonight. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on my armor tonight. Came in with it, but I'm gonna put it on tonight. And tonight I need you to know in behalf of my Lord, I'm coming for souls tonight. I'm coming for those in this room that don't know him. I'm coming for every drug addict, every alcoholic, every 
every marriage that's falling apart and unraveling. I'm coming for every broken soul tonight. He's coming for every person that's been written off that nobody else wants anything to do with. Coming for every person in this room tonight. That religion kicked you to the curb and said you would never be good enough. For those that when you walked in the door tonight, you wondered if the roof was going to fall on you. The Lord's coming for you tonight. He's coming for you with a furious love tonight that's going to apprehend your heart. And before I'm done tonight, I believe God's going to transform you forever and ever. Tonight, souls are going to be saved in the kingdom. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I just want to read three verses, and I want to preach to you a, a scripture that I have ministered here in the past. But the truth is tonight is simply a tool to speak to a heart tonight that the enemy has been warring and that God is fighting for your soul tonight. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, the Bible said, Then drew near. Everybody say, Then drew near. Say it one more time. Then drew near. Watch this. Unto him all the publicans and sinners. In other words, that the sinners were drawn to Jesus. I need you to see that in this room. They didn't run from him. They didn't hide from him. They ran to him. They didn't run to him because he, 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 he made light of their sins and their failures and their mistakes. They didn't run to him because Jesus created a seeker-sensitive atmosphere like much of the religious world has done today. He did, they didn't run to him because he lessened the gospel. He did not, they did not run to him because he quit preaching about the blood and he quit talking about sin. I heard one of these, one of these sugar-lipped false prophets say, oh, national television that Jesus rarely ever addressed morality. Are you out of your mind? Have you ever opened your Bible and read the letters that are in red? Hello, somebody. He took adultery from sleeping in the bed with somebody that wasn't their spouse to looking at a woman with lust. Jesus preached about morality. Hello, somebody. Are y'all with me today? And my point being is, is even though Jesus preached a hard message and a difficult message, Jesus' message was never seeker-sensitive. Jesus didn't say, if you'll just come believe in me and repeat this prayer, everything will be fine and you can be my, my sons and daughters. He didn't say that. It's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus said things like this, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. He made statements like this. If you're not willing to hate your father, mother, wife, children, yea, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, you can't follow me. No sense in you coming to church if you don't love me more than you love everybody else. I really want to preach in here tonight. Jesus didn't come with a watered-down version of the gospel to be able to draw people unto himself. He came with a strong message that he told a rich man, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. Jesus came with the radical message of complete surrender and sacrifice, but the Bible says, yet the sinners drew near unto him. And what you got to understand tonight is the reason that sinners were drawn to him was not simply because he forgave sins. I need you to hear me tonight. Jesus did more than forgive your sins. We have preached the blood of Jesus and then we did not preach what the blood actually brought to us because of the blood. Can I tell you the blood of Jesus is not a get out of hell free card. 
we preach come and believe in Jesus and the blood he shed and you can go to heaven and that's the end of that. But that is not what the gospel really teaches us. It's not what the Bible said. The Bible teaches us that the blood was shed that so that a covenant could be established. But the covenant is based upon the fact that when that blood was shed and your sins were forgiven, that God himself could come and live inside of you. You better read John chapter 14, verse 23, when he said, those that keep my word, he said, my father and I will come and make our abode. In other words, listen, no third watered-down version of God called the Holy Spirit is going to come live in you. It means that God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost is going to take up habitation in your life. The Bible said Christ in you is the hope of glory. Somebody say Christ in me. That's the same Jesus that, that, listen, the same Jesus that got a dead man out of a grave four days dead. This is the same Jesus, are y'all hearing me, that opened the eyes of blind Barnabas. This is the same Jesus that, that when a sinner woman ran into Simon the Pharisee's house, forgave her of all of her sins. That Jesus lives on the inside of you and I through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need to say this to you tonight. When God moves in your life and he really comes in, not a metaphor, but he really comes in, it's the miracle of John 3, 3, you've been born again. Woo. The Bible said unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm trying to tell you why sinners run to Jesus. I'm trying to tell you why they're coming to him. Not because we lessened the atmosphere with a watered-down version of the gospel, but because they knew when they come to him, they wouldn't just be forgiven, but they would be changed. Can I make a proposition to you tonight? Everybody flogged to the message of sloppy grace that said you can come to an altar, pray a prayer, take a bath, and go live like hell, and God's okay with it. Uh-oh. We watered down the gospel, quit preaching against sin. Now you got everybody in the church sleeping together. Fornication is no longer considered a sin in most churches. As long as you love each other, mm -mm, I got news for you. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend, you're living in fornication. We toned it down where everybody in the church could not only be sipping saint, but they could be sloppy drunks and God was okay with it. I'm going to preach on. We watered it down so much that it's all right even if you commit adultery. We watered it down so bad that anymore nothing is sin. But yet the problem with that message is is that it worked for a little while. But then when storms like COVID hit, then when turbulent times came, 
There were no foundation in the lives of those that had made intellectual decisions and attended a church that had no power. See, because that kind of gospel won't take you through the storms. It won't take you through the battles. It won't take you through the fights. It won't take you through the calamities of life. But I assure you of one thing, when God really moves on the inside of you, it changes every dynamic of who you are. It changes how you live. It changes how you behave. It changes how you love people. I'm gonna preach it here today. It Listen, it changes whether you get offended or not. Because when God lives in you, lives inside of you, and the power of God dwells in you, you're hard to offend. You don't run home because somebody didn't speak to you. You don't run home because somebody didn't call you. You don't run home and wave the white flag when you go through a little affliction and you go through a little persecution. When the glory of God lives in you, you do what Jesus did. You stand up in the face of every affliction, every manner of persecution, every manner of opposition, and you endure the storms. Jesus never said in the Bible to live after the pattern of the Baptist, to live after the pattern of the Methodists, the Presbyterians, never live after the pattern of the Pentecostals or the Charismatics. He told us to walk even as he walked. They crucified him. They put nails in his hands. They plucked the beard from his face. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head. They spat upon him, mocked him, made him carry his own cross. They lied on him. They conspired against him. They conspired to murder him, but nothing stopped him from the obedience of the Father. I'm just looking for a generation of people that live more like Jesus than they live like the religion of the 21st century. I'm looking for a generation of believers that aren't a bunch of panty-wasted poopsies that are sold out to God. They don't stay home to watch NFL football. They don't stay home because they're, they're offended. They're not staying home because they're tired. A generation of people that are going to serve God, live for God, and be everything God called them to be because they understand that our God is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not us, but it's the God in us. The reason I preach that is because I'm afraid that we've raised a generation of people that have a confession. I like, to term, and I, I like to put it in terminology like this. They have a profession, but not a confession. A profession does not bring transformation, but a true confession brings transformation. And if your salvation did not transform your life, get the real thing. If it didn't change you, get the real thing. If it didn't transform your behavior, if it didn't transform your character, if it didn't change how you love people, if it didn't change how you treat people, if it didn't change how you tip your waitress, if it didn't change how you show up for work on time, 
Can I preach in here today? If it don't change, oh my goodness, if it don't change the people you hang out and run with, then you didn't get the real thing because my Bible tells me light and darkness have nothing in common. When I got saved, I never had a peer pressure problem because anybody I used to run with didn't run with me no more. I never had to tell them to lose my phone number. They lost it intentionally and they lost it quickly because when I got saved, everybody knew I was saved. I was not a churchgoer. I was a Holy Ghost filled, blood bought, tongue talking, devil stomping, God fearing. You can't argue with me. Let me tell you why. Because I lived most of my life prior to my salvation. 19 years I lived my life. A good Baptist and a good Methodist. I went to church. But the problem is when you ain't saved, you can go to church, drink a fifth of Mad Dog 2020, and sit through a sermon where the preacher says, God's going to burn your barley fields. When you got religion, here's what you do. You go to church when it feels good. You go to church when it's convenient. And if anybody ever asks you you're saved, your response is, don't you judge me. That anytime somebody talks about the sin and the behavior in your life that does not reflect the confession of your faith as a true Christian, you get angry. I need to preach in here tonight because I understand what it's like to have been in church, prayed the prayers, gone through the ceremony, done the three points, got sprinkled and got baptized. I joined the church, got the right hand of fellowship. I went through it all, but I was lost. I was lost because I could run up and down the lake, do meth every day, fishing tournaments, I could drag race all over the United States, stay high on cocaine. I could drink a filth of liquor and a case of beer and snort an eight ball of cocaine every day of my life and look you and I and tell you I was a Christian. Because that's what we raised by preaching a false Jesus. Paul warned us in Corinthians, beware if somebody comes and preaches a different Jesus. Let me tell you why sinners came to Jesus in the Bible. Because they knew that not only did he forgive them of their sins, but he would deliver them from their sins. And the problem we have is, is nobody's preaching what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't just cause you to speak in tongues. It delivers you from the incarcerating bondages and the power. Oh my God. <coughs> That sin holds over your life. Romans chapter 6 says, I'm buried with Christ through baptism into death, and I'm raised to walk in the newness of life. When you're a new creature, you don't want to do what you used to do. When you're a new creature, you don't want to live like you used to live. When you're a new creature, you love God more than you love the world. When you're a new creature, God has a priority even above family. See, what, <clears throat> what Jesus knew was that you 
had to have a love and a passion for him that was not a one-time event. Jesus' word was never come to an altar and pray a prayer. Jesus' word was follow me. Say it with me, follow me. Jesus didn't come, ask you to come to an altar and get a quick fix. He asked you to come to the altar and put your hand to the plow and never look back. Because every day that you walk with him is every day that the shackles fall off your life. That desires change. That your mind's transformed and renewed according to Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you know the perfect and acceptable will of God. Somebody say you got to be born again. I'm going to be extremely brief because my voice is, is, is cracking. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> In the remainder of that text, through the entire chapter, Jesus describes four types of lost people. The first one he described as lost was a sheep. Everybody say a sheep. And the Bible said, what man of you having a hundred sheep that if he lose one, will he not leave the 99 and go after the one? The Bible said that when he went after the one, he would search for it until he found it. Everybody say until he found it. I need to tell you something tonight. Right now in this building, God is after you. And God has pursued you in places nobody else would pursue you. He didn't just pursue you in this building. He pursued you when you had a straw in your nose and a needle in your arm. He pursued you at the club. He pursued you when you woke up one morning and you was in somebody's bed. You didn't know who it was. He pursued you when your family gave up on you. He didn't quit on you because other people quit on you. Because the Bible said he goes after the one until he finds it. Everybody say until. Some of you are until in this room. God ain't giving up on you. And let me tell you something. Not only did I tell you tonight he was coming for you before you ever came in the room, you already knew he was after you. And the Bible says, watch this, that when he found the sheep, he picked it up. Everybody say, picked it up. See, what most people don't understand is what God does for you through salvation is he does for you what you never could do for yourself. That see, God gives you the power to change. Religion tells you you've got to change by your own power. But Christianity changes you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why religious people are prideful and arrogant, but true Christians are humble because they know they didn't get there on their own. They could have never changed, but it took God to change everything. That's why Christians have mercy with other Christians that are in the process of transformation. Because they understand, oh, I want to preach it here tonight, that every day they follow Jesus was a day they changed. Every day that you walk with Jesus and don't let go of the plow is a day that God changes everything in your life. Woo! That people begin to look at you and don't even know who you are. They know who you used to be. 
They try to identify you as who you used to be. But the problem is you're not that person anymore. And a Christian knows if God did it for them, he'll do it for you. I need to say to somebody in this room that's struggling, don't you quit. Don't you let go of the plow. Don't you let up, don't you back up, and don't you give up. Because he that begunneth a good work in you is going to perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the religious finger pointers condemn you. Get up and keep going. If you fail yesterday, get up today. The thing about a sheep is, a sheep knows they're lost. Because when they're wandering in the wilderness, they know there's wolves. They know they don't know which way to go. There are people in this room, you know you're lost. You know that right now your life is in trouble. You know right now that you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to fix it. You've run out of resources. You've run out of manipulation. You've run out of everything, and you know the enemy is coming for you. You know you're lost, but I got good news for you. Jesus knows right where you are. The second lost person was a coin. Everybody say a coin. The Bible says that which of you, when you have a coins, you have a bunch of coins, and you lose one coin, will you not turn on the light, get out the broom, and sweep, and search, and look for it until you find it? I want you to know tonight Jesus has got his broom out. He's sweeping through the pews. He's sweeping through all of the distractions that's going on in your living room right now. When you're trying to watch this on your iPhone, you're trying to watch this on the computer, and the kids in the other room are crying. I'm telling you, Jesus is sweeping until he finds you. But the difference between a coin and a sheep is a coin is an inanimate object. A coin doesn't know it's lost. And the challenge that we have is there are people in the room that you're lost, but you don't know you're lost. You don't know that your life is in danger. You don't know that right now, that if you keep going down that road, it's going to end in self-destruction. Right now, it feels good. Right now, it feels right. And you find complete justification for living that lifestyle because, after all, everybody else around you is doing it. And you feel comfortable in that place. But I have a message for the church. Just because somebody's lost and don't know they're lost and becomes offended when you turn the light on, don't turn the light off and don't put your broom in the closet. Now is the time to turn on the light or they will never know they're living in darkness. When we don't preach and we don't let the light of God shine in our life, then people become comfortable living in darkness. When did God ever want a sinner to be comfortable in their sins? When did God ever want a sinner to feel comfortable living in sin that the Bible said the wages of is death? 
that the inconsequence is not only a destructive life, but it's also hell. What happened to the church that preached hell hot, that preached sin is wrong? What happened to the church that turned the light on where sinners couldn't feel comfortable anymore? Look at me, church. God never intended sinners to feel comfortable in our churches. Welcomed, but not comfortable. Let me say that again. Welcomed, but not comfortable. Because if they feel comfortable, they'll stay in their sin. Number three, the prodigal. The third one was the son that went astray. See the difference between the coin, the sheep, and the son was God never went after the son. Most people in the church don't get that. There comes a point after you've walked with God, you've tasted that the Lord is good, God's been good to you, you know right from wrong, You've walked in the sonship of the Lord. You see, there's a difference between a sheep and a son. A son is a mature believer. Oh, I need to, I need to preach in here tonight. My Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, you knew the voice of God. You knew the provision of God. You knew the ability of God. But in spite of all of that, you made a decision to walk away. You made a decision to leave the master's table so you could chase after this world's fun. Hello, somebody. And the Bible said, and watch this, the process for a Christian to leave the presence of God is much different than a sinner who just lives in sin every day. A sinner don't know no better, but a son does. You don't treat Christians that are sinning the same way you treat sinners that have never been Christians. I don't have time to do a whole Bible lesson tonight because I'm coming for the lost. My Bible teaches us we don't judge them the same. If you're a Christian, you have no right to tell another Christian, don't you judge me. Because it's our responsibility to look after the welfare of people that have been converted. To keep them out of the miry clay that Jesus paid the price to bring them out of. It's our job to encourage them. It's our job to pray for them. It's our job to confront them in love. It's our job because we know where we used to be. And there's no way we can go back. But the problem is, if you're living in darkness, you hate the light. So when somebody turns the light on, it makes you angry. And the only way the prodigal son could avoid the light was leave the father. That's why people walk away from spirit-filled churches that preach the truth. To go to a sugar lip preaching church that'll water down the truth so they can feel comfortable being a sipping, sloppy, drunk saint. Oh, it just got tight in here. 
See, that's why you will leave a, a church that preaches the Bible and preaches the truth and holds you accountable because you don't want to put out your marijuana joint at night because you're afraid you won't be able to sleep without that joint. Oh, y'all don't want to hear me preach. You don't want to give up Susie that y'all doing the wild thing and you ain't married. And the preacher said you better put a ring on it. Otherwise it's fornication. Mm. Might be a little too straightforward for you tonight, reckon. A church that tells you deal with your unforgiveness. That you're not justified in living in unrepentant unforgiveness. You gotta, you gotta forgive them. I know they hurt you. I know they let you down. But the forgiveness is not really about them. The forgiveness is about you so that you can continue to walk in the blessings of God. Because real Christians know that sin will kill you. I'm coming to a caboose. So to get out of that environment, you gotta separate yourself from the light. And then to be able to justify walking in darkness, you gotta join yourself with a citizen of a foreign country. In other words, I gotta get some other people that believe like I believe, that'll condone what I do, that'll agree with me. And the problem is it takes you further and further and further away from the freedom because now you're doing things you would have never have done before. And the problem is you still think you're a Christian because you're still going to church. You're still singing songs and for the Pentecostals, you're still speaking in tongues. But the problem is that lifestyle sends you to the pig pen because when you come out from under the influence of God, you come under the influence of people. The Bible said that that man from the foreign country sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Are y'all with me? Let me tell you something. The Bible said if you abide in the vine, you become fruitful. But when you don't abide in the vine, then you don't bear fruit. And when you don't bear fruit, the Bible says you're cut off. Everybody say cut off. And you're thrown aside. And when you're thrown aside, then men gather you. Everybody say men gather you. Read your Bible because that's what it says. It doesn't say they're gathered by God. It said men gather them and throw them in the fire. Men ain't going to throw you into hell, people. God's the only one that has the power to throw you into hell. But let me tell you what men will do. They will gather you and they will throw you in the fires of this life. And when the world begins to influence you and not God, it leads down a road you wish you had never gone. And the Bible says that the prodigal son came to himself. Everybody say came to himself. But he didn't come to himself until the Bible said he desired or he longed to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs ate. Because when you walk away from God, your desires begin to change. 
That's what happens to Christians. There was a time when you wanted to live for God. You wanted to be holy. You wanted to do the will of God. You wanted to be in the ministry. You wanted to stay on fire for God. But something happened. And now you don't even care if you go to church. You don't care if you live right. And now all of a sudden you want things that Jesus delivered you out of. And the Bible says that he came to himself. I have a speculation about that. I think he woke up. He said, I used to have it good when I was saved and living for the Father. I had peace that passed all understanding. I had, I had strength when I was weak. I had peace in the middle of the storms. I had a joy that I didn't have when I was out here in the world. There's something missing in my life. And he said, back at the Father's house, and the Bible said that he got up. Everybody say, got up. And this is just my opinion. But I believed he looked at an old fat suey over there. He looked over at Harley the hog. He said, excuse me, pigs, but I changed my mind. And the Bible said he got up. And he began to make his way back to the Father. You need to hear what I'm about to tell you tonight. Some of you need to get up and come home. But I got, I got, I got a word for you. You're not going to make it. You ain't going to get two steps out of your seat tonight, and God the Father's going to come running to you. Because the whole time you've been out there, he's been watching. He never took his eyes off you. He never gave up. Because God is the author and the finisher of your faith. He that begunneth a good work in you will perform it under the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm two seconds away from a caboose. Just follow me for a minute. And the Bible said the father ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him. Everybody say kissed him. And the Bible said when he began to kiss him, watch this. The Bible said he called to the servant, said somebody get the ring, get the robe, get the shoes and kill the fatted calf. My son that was lost is now found. Come on, he was lost but he's come home. Can I tell you there's going to be a party in Dawsonville, Georgia tonight right here at Christ Fellowship at the North Georgia Revival because there were some sons that were lost but now they're found. And the most dangerous of them all was the older brother of the prodigal son. The older brother was the one who the Bible said that when he heard the older brother, the younger brother came home, he got mad. And he bowed up. He was religious. You know how religious people are. When they don't get their way, they bow up. I ain't coming to church. I ain't paying tithe. I don't like what they did. You see who they let in that church? You know what kind of whoremonger they used to be. I ain't putting my money in that offering plate. Sometimes religious people show their real spirituality by their absence. It's called manipulation. Because when something goes on that they don't understand in the church, they just don't show up anymore. So you're willing to change your mind, pastors. We'll withdraw our tithes and offerings until you change your behavior about how you're going to let this sinner boy that wasted your living with harlotries. 
And the Bible says that when the father heard about it, that he went to the older brother. Listen to me, church. I don't like the spirit of religion, but Jesus came for the religious, just like he came for the sinner. Don't you write the religious of your church off. Because if God could reach that religious man, God could reach, reach the religious people in your church. They are still your harvest. Say it with me. They're still your harvest. I'm, 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 I'm wrapping it up. Listen to this. And the Bible says that the older brother's case that he pleaded with the father was this. Lord, all my life I've lived in your house. All my life. And not one time have I ever transgressed you. In other words, he lived morally correct. He lived right. He said, Lord, all my life I've served you in these fields. I've never done anything wrong. But not one time did you ever kill me a kid. And the father looked at the older brother. And he said, son, did you not know that all that I have is yours. The only way the older brother could have not known that everything the father had was his is he didn't even know his father that he lived all his life for. Jesus' word to all four of these, if there's no repentance, will be this. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Do you know him? I didn't ask you, do you know about him? I didn't ask you, do you know theology or doctrine? I'm asking you, do you know him? Because if you tell me he doesn't require holiness, you don't know him. Because if you tell me that he's okay with you living in unrepented sin, you don't know him. If you tell me it's all right for you to get high every night and still be a Christian, you don't know him. If you tell me that it's okay for you to be a Christian but live in defeat every day, I'm telling you, you don't know him. If you tell me today that he does not heal the sick, you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would know he's a healer. If you knew him, you would know he's a deliverer. If you knew him, you would know he wants his best for you. You would know that through the death and the resurrection, he bought your victory. That his death and his resurrection through the Holy Spirit would teach you how to be a husband how to be a wife, how to have integrity, how to show up for work on time, how to quit being a racist. He would teach you how to not be offended every time somebody didn't speak to you in church. To quit giving up because somebody got your parking space. Because somebody got a job you were shocking for. Because real Christians prefer their brothers above themselves. Real Christians applaud when their brothers and sisters get promoted and God uses them. 
We're not jealous. We're thankful. The kingdom of God. Because I'm not living for my ministry. I'm living for his. Staying with me. The baptismal teams are getting ready. But I'm asking you not to get distracted. I'm going to give them time to move to their positions and I'm going to need your undivided attention for two more minutes while you stand there. If you're not physically able to stand, you can sit, but if you're physically able, please stand with me. All my life, I grew up in a Christian home, so-called Christian home. I heard every message about repeat this prayer and you're a Christian. I repeated the sinner's prayer more times than Jimmy Carter has liver pills. I went through the motions. I did all the stuff you're supposed to do. But I lived in a terrible life of sin. I wrecked people's lives, including my own. I broke my mom and daddy's heart. I wrecked other people's lives. And the only person that I ever cared about was me. I didn't care who I broke, who I hurt, who I wounded, how I lived. All I cared about was when bad things happened, how did it affect me? Because when you're lost, you live for one person, you live for yourself. We've created not a generation of followers of Jesus's, but we have created a generation of narcissists. People that have made it all about them. And the reason we have church full of people that have narcissistic personalities, and I don't, I don't apologize for what I'm saying, because it's all about me. It's all about, Pastor, what you gonna do for me? How's the music going to move me? Who's going to take care of me? And I lived my whole life mad at God. Because when I was 12 years old, my grandfather put a 380 pistol to his head and he pulled the trigger while I held him wrecked my life I loved that man more than life itself he was actually more daddy to me than a grandfather because my dad traveled all my life he traveled he was a southeastern sales manager for a large company called Chore Time poultry equipment 
and he traveled. He was a phenomenal provider, but he was an absent dad. He was a disciplinary, so I never knew him as a loving, compassionate father. I just knew him as the guy that come home and beat the fire out of us when we got home because of all the mess we got into. But my grandfather was the man who loved me. And in a moment, he snapped, lost his mind, had a nervous breakdown. And in a fit of rage, 30 minutes before, after he had looked at me in the eyes and told me in the middle of a nervous breakdown, boy, you caused every bit of this. And the last words he ever said on this world was when he looked up at me in a puddle of blood and I'm standing over his body. There's a puddle of blood to me that looked like the size of three basketballs. His head's laying in the blood. Let me be explicitly detailed. I remember it like it was yesterday. And he looked up at me and said, Oh, Lance, what have I done? And I live so angry with God. God, if you're a good God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen to me if you're a good God? Because see, when you're lost, everything is about you. It was never about that I'd never lived a day of my life for God, for the will of God, for the purpose of God. And even if I had, God never promised me anywhere in the Bible that bad things wouldn't happen to good people. God didn't promise me that my grandfather wouldn't have a nervous breakdown. God didn't promise me I wouldn't lose a mama to Alzheimer's. God didn't promise me that there wouldn't be tragedies and car accidents. He didn't promise me that there wouldn't be financial hardships. But let me promise you, what, let me tell you what he did promise. I'll be with you always. What he did promise is I'll comfort you when you mourn. What he did promise you is in your weakness, my strength will be per made perfect. What he did promise us is that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we would never have to fear evil. What he did promise is I'll hold you, son, in the palm of my hand. When your life is unraveling, I'll hold you, son. I'll be your way maker, son. When you don't think you got enough grace to get out of the bed in the morning, when you don't think you got enough strength to face the troubles, I'll be your refuge. I'll be your strong tower. I'll, I'll walk with your son every step of the way. God never promised you you wouldn't be lost in the dark, but he promised my word will be a lamp to your feet. You may not be able to see what's in front of you, but you can see the next step you need to take. You may not know what the future holds, but you can be sure of the next step you've got to take. God never promised us stuff. And the reason you don't know that is because most people are like me. They didn't know God. They don't know him. If they knew him, they wouldn't be angry with him. How can we say we love God and we've never opened the Bible? How can you say you love God and the only thing you know about him is what some preacher said from a pulpit? How can you say you love God, but you've never spent time in prayer outside of now I lay me down to sleep? Come on, church. You can't know somebody you don't have conversations with. You can't know somebody you don't spend time in their presence. 
You know why we sing songs like when we all get to heaven? Because we want to go meet this God we've never met. I can't sing when we all get to heaven because I've met him now. That's why I worship the way I worship because I met him and I have to worship him. I can't fold my arms and position myself quietly because I've met the king of glory. I got up with him this morning. I've walked all day with him. He's walked with me and my family over the last 30 years. He's been our rock and our fortress, our strength and our strong power. He's seen us through the hardships and he held us when we couldn't hold ourselves. I was a drug addict and he delivered me. I was an alcoholic and he set me free. I was, a, I was a womanizing cheater, but he forgave me and taught me how to love my wife. I was a terrible daddy, but he taught me how to love my children and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I gotta praise him, Pastor. I can't be normal. I can't fold my arm. I can't clasp my hand. I've got to dump. I've got to praise him. I've got to fall down. I've got to worship him. I've seen that the Lord is good. I've tasted that he's good. I was lost, church. It was all about me. Up until September 2nd, 1990, it was all about me till I got saved. When I got saved, I got changed. And no longer was it all about me, but it became all about him. I'm, I'm giving an invitation tonight for people to come to him because there's some sheep out there that they're lost, Pastor. They don't know. They know the enemy's coming for them. They know they're in the darkness. There's a Savior running to you right now. He just needs you to stop and let him pick you up right now. Put you on his shoulders and bring you home. There's coins right now. You're lost. You don't know you're lost, but tonight God put the light right in the place where you've been hiding. Don't run from the light. Don't get mad tonight. Don't be insulted. Let him pick you up and bring you home. There's prodigals in the room. You walked away from what you once had, but tonight he's asking you, come to yourself and get up out of the pig pen and come back home. He's watching you. He's waiting on you. He's looking for you right now. Come on, sir. You've been in church all your life. You've been in church all your life. You've been a deacon, maybe even served as an elder. You might have even taught Sunday school. You know the word. You've been faithful, but you've never been born again. And you know there's never a change. There's never been a change. You know that in your heart. You just said, I've been a good man all my life. Being a good man ain't going to get it for you, my friend. you got to be born again. Bow your heads with me all over this building. It's not me. It's him that's come for you tonight. And all over this building, there are people right now. The Spirit of the Lord is drawing you right now. The Bible said no man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. This word has spoke to you, 
But more than the word, the Holy Spirit is pulling on you right now. He's pulling on your heart. He's drawing you unto himself. And I'm asking you tonight, don't run. I'm asking you and pleading with you tonight, don't tell him no another night. I'm asking you tonight to not be embarrassed by the love that he has for your life. I'm asking you to not be concerned about what people around you will think. I'm asking you tonight, just like he went willfully, and he went passionately to that cross for you. I'm asking you to come passionately to him tonight. All over this building, if, you, if you're in this room and you'd say, Lance, I don't know him. I'm lost. I need a savior in my life. You're in this room and you're backslid and you've become lukewarm and you need to come home tonight. You've lost your fire. You've, you've drifted away. You're in this room and you've been religious. And tonight you need to get right and have a relationship with God. I'm asking you tonight at the count of three. If you're in this room and you're lost or you're backslid, I'm asking you to raise your hand at the count of three. I don't want you to procrastinate. I don't want you to fear no man. I want you to be bold and courageous. I want you tonight for the first time in your life, go after God like God's come after you tonight. Some of you I know know that God's speaking directly to your heart right now. I need you to be obedient. I need you to quit running. I need you to come out of that hell hole you've been in. I need you to come out of the bondages of sin. I need you to come out of the darkness and come out of the devil's power. I need you to come home to the King of glory today. Are you ready all over the building? If you're watching online, do the same. In this building, at the count of three, if you need him in your life right now, if you're lost or you're backslid, I need you to raise your hand as high as you can. Are you ready? Are you ready to be bold? Let's do it right now. One, two, three. Raise them high. Raise them high. Raise them high all over the building, all over the building. Raise them up high. There's others. You need to raise them high tonight. You need to raise them high. There's others. It's time to quit being worried about other people's opinion. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hold on just a minute. Intercessors, I need you to intercede right now all over the building. I need you to start praying. If you're in this building today and God has spoke to you, you raised your hand. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you know you needed to. I'm going to count to three one more time. And when I say three, I'm going to ask you to get out from behind your seat. And I'm going to ask you as passionately and as, and as safely as you can to get to this altar. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to just say, excuse me to the person next to you and get down here quickly. If you've got to run, run. It's okay. You say, Pastor, why? Because God said, if you're ashamed of me before man, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. But if you will confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father. God needs a generation of people that are going to come to God without the fear of man. People that will come to God and not be fearful of what other people think about them. I'm asking you today to overcome everything hell ever used against you. I'm asking you to run away from the devil and run to God tonight. When I count to three, get to this altar as fast as you can. Are you ready? One, two, three. Right now, come on. Come on, all over the building. Right now, all over the building. Come, come quickly. Come, 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 come. Come, 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 come.
Come all over the building. They're coming. Come on, church, pray. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, there's others. Come on, come on. I need your help real quick. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. There's still others. You need to come. Come on. There's still others. I know it. I know it. There always is. There's always people. They need to come. God's pulling on you. I know what it's like to white knuckle that seat in front of you. I know what it's like. I need you to come. Could I have one more minute before I pray? I'm about 15 minutes over what I really should be because I don't like going this long. But I have an assignment tonight. Look at me. What would you do to stop somebody from going to hell tonight? What would you do to stop them? I hope you would say anything. I would do anything, Pastor to stop people from going to hell. What happened to preachers that would do whatever's necessary to stop people from going to hell? I need you to help me tonight because there's others that need to come tonight. But the enemy is warring in their mind. They just need a little encouragement. So I'm gonna ask you if you would, right now in just a moment, I'll tell you when. I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you. Look at me, church. I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to take them by the hand. They may be a stranger. Just take them by the hand so they know you care. And I need you to ask them when I ask you to. Do you need to be in that altar? Do you need to go to the altar? If they say yes, they may tear up and they can't answer you. Would you be their friend tonight? Would you be the greatest evangelist that they've ever met and simply take them by the hand and walk them down here tonight to this altar? Are you ready? Please turn to the person next to you right now and ask them, do you need to be in that altar? Do you need to be in that altar? Do you need to be in that altar? If they say yes, please take them by the hand right now. Come on, it's okay. Bring them on, bring them on. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. He loves you that much that he would never give up on you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not giving up. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I can't pray this prayer for you, but I can pray it with you. If you tonight will give your heart to him, If you tonight will genuinely repent and you will genuinely believe that he died for your sins, ask him to change your life. Believe that on the third day he rose again. Tonight, if you'll put your faith and your hope that tonight he'll not only forgive you, but he'll give you the gift 
of the greatest miracle of all, the gift of being born again, the gift of restoration. He'll do it right now. All over the building, would you pray with me right now? Watch it online. I need you to pray with me right now. Would you tell him, Heavenly Father, come on, Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I turn from my old way of life. And I turn to you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you shed your blood. That my sins are forgiven. And I believe that on the third day, you rose from that grave. And because you rose, I'm asking you to give me the gift of being born again. Change me. Regenerate me. That I'm a new believer. I'm a new person. That the old things are passed away. And today all things become new. Change my life, Lord. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Every day, I'll follow you. Wherever you lead me, whatever you ask, I'll go, I'll do. My life is yours. I give it all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for changing my life.